we all grow stronger in the word, reading the words, and with the will of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and being with us this morning. I pray that people don't necessarily get the message we want to give all words. Let them sell on your words, on your will. Without your will, nothing would ever get done. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for giving us our family here, our building here, and your will. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. I can't thank you isn't even enough for what, what I really feel about what you did for us to bring us back to be the family of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the name I pray, amen. Let's, uh, let's go, uh, go around and uh, bump this and say hi to all the others this year. Jesus told the story of 
two, a man with two sons. He said, a man had two sons. The younger told the father, I want, I want my share of your inheritance now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have enough food to, and food to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and put sandals on his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Good morning again, brothers and sisters. First thing I want to cover is we have a prodigal son. What does the word prodigal mean? It means waster. He wastes gifts and resources of his father. Our story started out today with a man with two sons. The younger of the two sons was, of course, going, he was doing inheritance from his father. But he didn't want to wait. And he asked his father, just give me my inheritance now, please. Without waiting for more than a few days after he received it, the young man gathered up his newfound riches and left to a nearby country. He wasted his money, contrary to what we would consider proper living. He probably squandered his money on alcohol, gambling, and the such like that. But when he was there in this country squandering his inheritance, a famine hit. He had to find a new job now because he wasted all his money. The new job he found was completely unsuitable. 
he was feeding pigs. Pigs are unclean. The Jewish culture. But the situation got even worse. He found himself in the position where he actually had to eat the pea pods he was feeding the pigs. He could find no charity from the people around him. Finally, after hitting rock bottom, he had a revelation. Maybe I should go home. My father's servants eat better and live better than I am right now, following my own path. So he decided to return to his father, humbly admit and apologize to him that he'd done something very wrong. And admit that his sinful actions were such where he was unworthy, unworthy to even be called his son anymore. So Billy thought, you know what? Being one of my father's servants would be an upgrade from where I put myself. As he neared the home, his father saw him approaching. The father ran out to meet him with joy, showered him with hugs and kisses. He was completely happy and overjoyed his lost son had returned. I was wondering, it took me a moment, but did you catch the parallel? The son was separate from the father, doing his own thing, but the father, loving his son, ran out to meet him anyway, didn't make his son suffer the consequences of his action, but brought him back in and showered him with gifts. The son had separated himself from his loving, compassionate father and thought he could, hey, I can do things my way. I don't need this. This house, this money, this plantation. But when he did that, he wasted it. It's an exact parallel. The human beings were separated from our father God. But Jesus ran to us joyfully he was tortured, he died, but he did it with joy in his heart for us so that we could return to our Father God in heaven. After we go to Jesus, admit we have faith in him and apologize and ask for forgiveness for our going astray, just like this son did. A further parallel is when he did return to the Father, this bad son, Instead of doing, instead of receiving the consequences of his actions, he received compassion, love, and more than he could ever conceived of. He got the coat, he got the house back. Like I say, we, we are that wayward son. We're separated from our father. But Jesus ran out to meet us and showered us with gifts we can't even imagine. I've been to heaven. I still can't fully explain the feelings I had, the things I saw. God has enormous, unimaginable gifts for us, just like this son's father did when he returned. The treasure the man received by returning home to his father, like we do through Jesus Christ, are what we get, treasures and eternal life, when we return back 
to Father God through his son, Jesus. Thank you, Mike. It always amazes me that the research you do to put together the talk for, from a layperson, lay you do a good job. You're welcome. I haven't done this for a while, so I don't know how it's going to go, but I do know one thing. Today is Father's Day, and I was born on this day 73 years ago. Thank you. And you've wished me a a happy Father's Day. I'm the father of seven children. I just was wondering, uh, just to check and see if you're all alive out there, I'm wondering how many of you actually had a father. Did you have a father, Claire? Not anymore. Yeah. Well, my father's gone, too. He's been gone uh, probably about 12 years now, and my mother's been gone for six years. So sometimes I feel like a fatherless child. Or what's that old song that sometimes I feel like a fa motherless child? Yeah. So anyway, um, <clears throat> most of us are familiar with this parable. And um, I'm thankful that, that Mike here has chosen to talk mostly about the, the son. And I'm going to do the other half, about the father. But... I had to wonder, as you were talking about this kid coming home and spending all of his inheritance and not knowing how to do much of anything except feed pigs, I uh, was wondering what he was going to do for the rest of his life. Would he have to work for his brother? I never thought about that before. Maybe. But So we talk about the prodigal son a lot, and that's the usually the way they title this passage, but more importantly, the story reveals the heart of God toward us. His willingness to forgive us, no matter what we've done, no matter how we have offended him, if we'll only admit our wrong and return to him. Our earthly fathers help shape our view of God, either for better or for worse. As I prepared this Father's Day message, <clears throat> God led me to an article that asked this question. Have earthly fathers helped or hurt your view of God as Father? I'm thankful that I had a godly dad who helped shape my view of God in a positive way. But some of you may not have been so blessed. Here's how the author of the article answered this question that he had asked from his own personal experience. He says, people say funny things to a kid who's lost his dad. Well, at least they seem strange to me. You're the man of the house now, one told me at my mother's funeral, my dad's funeral, dabbing her eyes with the bunched up tissues. You must take care of your mom and sister. Well, as a kid just finishing the third grade, I wasn't sure what to make of this. I surely didn't feel like a man. And I imagined that this honor wouldn't go very much and have very much mileage in my, the way I behaved in my family. One does not say to one's mother, I won't be eating my vegetables tonight. I'm the man of the house now. 
Another thing people said once we started attending church was that God would be my father now. God, they told us, was the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. Could anything be more relevant for our family? Well, they meant well, I know, but I recognize that the word father, as it applied to God, didn't have precisely the same meaning as having a dad in the home, a guy who lives with a mother and some children. He wasn't going to be there to help a kid with his homework or to throw a football around or to build a doghouse together. The architect of snowflakes and the solar system wasn't available for taking a 10-year-old out to breakfast to talk about what sex means. God as a father? Sounds nice. But I knew better. A real father was in a home, not on a throne. End of quote. Yet the Bible does present God as a father. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus makes more than 150 references to God as being a father. And while the Old Testament writers sometimes described God using qualities of father and sometimes even mother, Jesus referred to God using even more intimate language. Jesus called his father Abba, his papa, his daddy. Now, in spite of what the Bible teaches, many still have a difficult time relating to God as a father because we tend to project our expectations or experiences of what a father should be or has been on our Heavenly Father. A boy who longs for a dad that he's lost has a hard time seeing God as capable of filling that role. A girl who feels like she has succeeded in sports has to succeed in sports and, and uh, school in order to win her father's approval may see her relationship with God in the same way. I've got to be good enough to satisfy him. For others, the word father may bring up memories of abuse and neglect. How tragic that such beautiful facets of God's character are often tainted by the weaknesses of human fathers. Well, this morning, I want, to want for us to consider five truths the Bible teaches in this story about the heart of a loving father. <clears throat> now, there are probably a lot more qualities in there in this story about God, but this, these are five that God showed me. Number one, the heart of a loving father is the source of life. Fathers have an important part in contributing to the life to giving life to a child. God designed for children to be conceived in love. In our story today, I believe we can assume that this child, this son, was conceived in love. Our Heavenly Father is the source of all life, and all life has been conceived in love. God wanted many children, the Bible says, and provided life all around us to meet all of our needs in beautiful ways. 
None of the beauty of life around us would exist without our creative Heavenly Father. Now, the heart of a loving Father is not only the source of life, but second, the heart of a loving Father provides what his children need. The Father in our story today had not only provided everything his kids needed as they grew up, but he apparently had also, also stashed away a, a nice inheritance for them, or at least his estate was worth quite a bit. Now, Jesus assured his followers that his heavenly Father is just like that, our heavenly Father. He said, if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly take care of you. In fact, your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Now, we talked this morning in our Sunday school class about the ways that God answers and meets our needs. In fact, we might even ask, well, if he knows all our needs, why do we even have to ask? Did you ever wonder that? One of the smartest things I ever read one time was by a guy that said, the reason we pray is not because God knows our needs. It's, it's a way, our way of inviting God into our life to meet those needs. He doesn't just barge his way into our life. Now, sometimes he answers right away. Sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes he gives us something even better than we asked for. And of course, he can also answer with a, a no. Did you fathers ever answer with a no to your kids? <laughs> Once in a while. Someone put it like this, I asked God to take away my habit. God said, no, it's not for me to take away, but for you to give it up. I asked God to grant me patience. God said, no, patience is a byproduct of tribulation. It isn't granted, it's learned. I asked God to give me happiness. God said, no, I give you blessings. Happiness is up to you. I asked God to spare me pain. God said, no. Suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. I asked God to make my spirit grow. God said, no, you must grow on your own, but I will prune you to make you fruitful. I asked God for all things that I might enjoy life, and God said, no, I've given you life so you might enjoy all things. This day is yours. Don't throw it away. To the world, you might be just one person. But to one person, you might be the whole world. The heart of a loving father provides what his children need. So does God. In fact, <clears throat> God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. It gives them great pleasure to meet our needs. Number three, the heart of a loving father corrects his children. 
Now, I think we can assume that the father in this story had corrected his boys as they grew up, not in such a way as to provoke, provoke them to anger or discouragement by the way he treated them. But even under the best fathering, children can still choose to go astray. And the oldest story we have about that is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They had a perfect father, yet they strayed away. And that's what this son in the story did today. One of the saddest stories in the Bible about a father who failed to correct his children is found in 1 Samuel chapter 2, where it tells us, Now the sons of Eli, the high priest, were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. Eli was very old, and he was aware of what his sons were doing, he also knew that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance to the tabernacle. Now, although he had been a godly priest, apparently he had been a permissive father. Rather than punishing and removing his sons, he merely scolded them. But they wouldn't listen. Pain is the body's way of telling us that something is wrong. The pain inflicted by discipline alerts us that our present course of action is wrong. The Bible warns us not to make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. This is from Hebrews chapter 12. It goes on to say, As you endure it, Endure this divine discipline. Remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline us as he does all of his children, it means that you're illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, Shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the very best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So the heart of a loving father disciplines his children. And so does God. Number four. The heart of a loving father listens to his children and lets them make decisions that sometimes break his heart. When the younger son in our story told his father, I want my share of your estate now before, I, before you die, it must have broken the father's heart. Not because he didn't enjoy meeting his son's needs, but because he could see his son was headed the wrong way. But he listened to his son and agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. Pastor Chip Ingram once wrote an article that was entitled, Let Your Kids Fail. And it illustrates the importance of listening to our children 
and letting them make decisions that sometimes break our heart. He said, my son had an ambitious plan. He would drop out of college and focus on music. All his life, I had urged him to discover what he was created to do and, and pursue what God had laid on his heart. I just didn't think it would be this, at least not if it meant skipping college. But music was his passion. College wasn't. He had made up his mind. At first, I didn't know how to respond. I believe kids should be allowed to experience the consequences of their decisions. But the stakes get higher as they get older. The School of Hard Knocks has an increasingly difficult curriculum. But since its lessons are thorough, I told my son that if he wanted this bad enough to try to make it on his own without expecting our financial support, he had my blessing. After about six months, he realized how hard it is to earn a living with a band, and he came to another decision. He would still continue to pursue his dream, but he would also develop a backup plan, which included re-enrolling in college. He held on to his vision, but balanced it with realism. I probably could have forced that decision on my son, but that wouldn't have changed his heart. He would have continued to reckless, restlessly look forward to the day when he could get out from under his dad's plan for his life. Instead, he got a life-altering perspective on the realities of working for a goal. The decision to continue school was his own, and at this, as at this time, he was motivated to do well at college. In fact, he did go on and is in a music career today, as far as I know. Now, as difficult as it was, as painful as it was, his father had listened to learn, had learned to listen to his son and love him enough to let him go. Someone has put it like this. If you love someone, let them go. The people who are meant to be in your life will always, be, will always gravitate back towards you no matter how far they have wandered. Anyone who truly cares about you will always find a way back to you. There are things that we don't want to happen but have to accept. Things we don't want to know but have to learn. And people we can't live without but have to let go. The heart of the loving father listens to his children even when it's painful. And so does God, even when the decisions we make break his heart. C.S. Lewis put it this way, there are two kinds of people, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. Number five, the heart of a loving father never gives up hope that a lost child might someday come to his senses 
and return home. Although though there are consequences for wrong choices, we forgive our children when they mess up, and we try to help them make better choices in the future. And as we do this, it gives them a glimpse of God's rule in our lives, his role in our lives. He's the ultimate model of forgiveness and acceptance. We all mess up, but our Heavenly Father is constantly on the watch for our return. He watches and waits day after day, hoping his child will come to his senses and realize that he's separated from the one who loves him most, lacking fellowship, starving on garbage when he could be feeding on the best, lost and far away from home, lacking meaning and purpose in his life, wasting his life. He can feel the pain in his child's heart, and he knows the suffering his child has experienced. It's no wonder that when that son comes running home or a daughter with run open the father runs out with open arms, full of joy to meet his children, who turn back to him. The joy that comes from finding what has been lost is great because for a time, nobody knew what the outcome would be. What God told the people of Israel, he says to us today, I myself, I thought to myself, I would love to treat you as my own children. I looked forward to your, you calling me father, and I wanted you never to turn from me. But you've been unfaithful to me, he told his people. You've been like a faithless wife who leaves her husband. My wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me, and I will heal your wayward hearts. Call to me when you're in trouble and I will rescue you and will give me glory, and you will give me glory. May our response to the heart of our loving Heavenly Father be, yes, we're coming, for you are the Lord, our God, our Father. Amen. Great is thy faithfulness.
I share the Sunday school I want to share with you. How important is the Father? I know not every Father is perfect, but Jesus had a perfect Father. And when he, when things came down to where he was going to have, have to die on our behalf, the words he said really struck me on this day of Father's Day. Not my will, but your will be done. Even as God, he referred back to the Father's will. That's how important Father's are. Even the Lord Jesus Christ bent down to the will of his Father. And thank you, Father God, for that. And uh, I'm going to pray right now for uh, our, our dismissal. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, be upon all the fathers and the family members of fathers. Bless them, Lord, to, to see that how, how important this day is. Not just fathers, but for your entire family, Lord Jesus Christ. Let them honor their father. And more importantly, let the honor be worthy. Let the fathers be worthy of that honor. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for going to Only to serve you, Lord. Every thought, every action, you want to do our mind. And you come first. The Holy Christ is our praise Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah.
just also Pastor Randy and Chris have in here that please keep hope in your prayers as for bone marrow transplant is coming up and also for Diane Rafferty, my mom, which we are going to see in a week and a half. Her and his dad are not doing very well, but God keeps him sustained and we just keep praying for them and praying for them. And also for Elsie Bowfoot, please keep her in your prayers. And sitting at this time, I'm also for her on my way to appreciate and so she appreciate her. My mom can't even stand up. She's in that kind of shape. Serve the Lord. As may be saved, as may be saved, 